filling the room better now? <laughs> We've got almost equal numbers left and right today. <clears throat> so beautiful, beautiful prayers. Um, thank you for your prayers who prayed for the message. And um, somebody mentioned the um, indifferent wording, the filling of these seats as God provides, right? As God brings people into these doors. And since pastoring here, since I first started, my prayer has been, of course, that God would provide, but not for the reasons of having more people, right? Not for the reasons of, oh, we have a church with this many people um, or that many people, a hundred or 150 or a thousand, whatever some pastor, whatever a pastor or a congregation's desire is, but not for numbers, but because there's so many people out there that don't know the Lord, and we want to see them in these seats. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And <clears throat> just because I'm good at being a parrot. <laughs> In regards to what I've been pre preaching about lately, I think it's important to, to, remind, to remind the progression of things. So the 26th, we talked about the vision, the vision of that we are called to seek God first, love Him with all of our heart, equip the saints, and that we are called to go and make disciples. Well, as you all, those of you who were here the last few weeks, that was the sermon on the 26th. The week after that, I elaborated on what it means to seek, that we are, that we are um, called to seek God first, as I said. We are called to abide with Him. Then we, last week we preached, we talked about how we are called to train in godliness, how we're called to, to equip ourselves, equip one another. And why are we to do that? Of course, so that we can abide. <laughs> we're equipping and learning how to abide better, but also so that we can be prepared to go and make disciples, to, sit, to, to go ourselves and to send one another out from Joy Christian Center. So today we're going to talk more about the third part of our calling, of, our, of the vision for Joy Christian Center, which is that we are a missional church. We are called to go and to send one another and make disciples. So with that in mind, um, go ahead, if you have your Bibles, we're going to open to Luke 10. 1 through 12, and I'm going to be reading from the ESV, English Standard Version. Um, <clears throat> Luke 10, 1 through 12. After this, the Lord appointed Jesus, appointed 72 others, and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way, behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. 
And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to, your, to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of Sodom than for that town. <clears throat> so there's a lot, a lot in this this passage in this, uh, these verses. And starting right off from the, the first verse, we read that he, he sent 72. Now, I don't know which versions have which, but some of your versions might have 70, might say 70. Um, he sent 70 out. And that is um, an interesting thing to research if, if you want to research further. But really, there, there's um, some ideas and concepts, speculation of why that's the case. Um, in f- but for today's study, in regards to what we're going to talk about, it's not super important to, to understand. But it's something you could study and, and understand, or at least understand the different perspectives and ideas of why people believe that's the case. But that, just to clarify why yours, or to let you know that that's, a thing that some have 72 and some say 70. But the thing that I want to point out is that just prior to that, prior to this passage in, in chapter 9, the beginning of chapter 9, we read that Jesus sent out in, in like fashion, in a similar way with the similar words even that are used in this passage, Jesus sent out his 12 disciples. He sent out the 12 to proclaim the kingdom of God, the beginning of chapter 9. And the reason I bring this up is that it's very important for us to understand, as I've said multiple times now, that we, that we, we as, a, as a body cannot expect and think that God only sends out the leaders, the leadership of a church, right, to do ministry, but that God calls all to engage in the Great Commission, to go and make disciples, to go and proclaim the good news that the kingdom of God has come near. So we see that here. We see in chapter 9 that he sent the 12 in the first verses of chapter 9. And now we see in chapter 10 he sends the 72. Just a reminder, Matthew 28, the Great Commission, 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. And Mark 16, 15 to 16 says, And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. So he sends not just the twelve, not just the leadership, not just the worship leader, the elders and the pastor, but he sends the 72. He sends the whole a whole bunch of people as he sends 
He calls us and sends us to go and make disciples. The next thing that stands out in verse 1 is that he sends them two by two. He doesn't send them off on their own, go ahead and, and, and prepare the way for me, but he sends them two by two. And this, this is a very simple idea that we do our best ministry together. We do our best ministry as a group, in pairs. We do our best ministry um, as a team. There's so many reasons. We talked about last week how there's the parallel between training in godliness and training in our physical fitness or training for health reasons, right? And we talked about how it's, it's such a great help in training in godliness or training physical, physical fitness to have somebody who's with you. It helps with accountability. It helps with learning new skills, helping with um, strengthening your weaknesses or vice versa. And that's the same as at the same with uh, in this situation. In being sent out, God blesses us to go in teams, to go in groups, because we get motivated, we get encouraged, we get we're, we're more we're, we're held more accountable. And when it comes to evangelism, I don't know how many have, of you have stepped out in uh, in evangelism in one way or the other, but it can be intimidating. And having somebody by your side, having a, a couple people there, um, depending on the scenario, it just gives you that extra bit of courage, that extra bit of, of oomph to, to push you and say, you know, I can do this. God's got me. You know, God, God's, God's got this. I, I can be used by God. It just gives you that extra courage, that extra bit of faith coming together. So we're called to go two by two. The next thing that stands out in this verse is that he says that he, they, that Jesus says, or the text says that Jesus sent them on ahead of him. It says it's, that they were sent ahead of him and they were sent where he himself was about to go. So one person we think about when we think about somebody who was sent to prepare the way for Jesus was John the Baptist, right? Like he was literally sent to prepare the way for Jesus' ministry. And in this text, we see that we too are called as a type of John the Baptist sent to prepare the way for Jesus. We get the sense in this verse that Jesus already has a plan. In fact, it says, literally, it says, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. So Jesus knew, knew ahead of time. He knew where he was going to go and being God, knew who he wanted to talk to, knew the plan to whatever degree he allowed himself to know that knowledge, um, that foreknowledge. But God, the Father, definitely knew all that was planned, everybody he was going to go and talk to. And it's the same in our lives. When, when God sends us, he has a plan for our lives, not just for today, but he has things planned out that we would enter in to that ministry, enter in to that moment in time where he wants us to talk to that one person that he's been preparing their heart to be talked to, to, to be prepared and to go before him, to have that moment with that person, to be able to introduce them to Jesus. So he goes ahead, we go ahead of him and prepare the way where he himself is planning to go. We go to sow seeds, we go to sow seeds, we go to to water the seeds, and we go to even 
um, harvest when it is the time when God's called us to that appointed time. And we go to proclaim hope, to proclaim the good news of the gospel. Verse 2 says, And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly for the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. One thing that stood out to me here is that it doesn't say, it doesn't say that, he, that the seeds are plentiful, like to go and plant seeds, go and plant a lot of seeds. It doesn't say to go, to go and, 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 and to water the seeds that have already been planted by others because there's lots of seeds that need to be planted or a lot of watering that needs to be done. And I'm not saying that's not needed. We need to be doing that. We need to be planting seeds, being, being God's, Jesus' hands and feet in the world, which in and of itself is planting seeds of love and, of, uh, and, and proclaiming to the, him um, through words as well, introducing people to him. All these things are planting seeds, watering. These are important. But that's not what the text says. The text specifically says, because the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. If we think about, about terminology or um, this kind of metaphorical language, we think about the reality that the harvest, what he's saying about the harvest is that people are ready to receive the kingdom. People are ready to receive the good news. People are ready to receive Jesus. Now, I don't know about you all, but how often do you, are you standing next to somebody or in a group or in a context, and you're like, wow, most of these people right now want me to tell them about Jesus right now. That's what, that's what they're wanting right now is to learn, for me to just start talking about Jesus to them. Probably more likely, unless you're, you've got a more heavenly-minded perspective than me, you, maybe like myself, you think like, man, I'm nervous to tell this person about Jesus right now. Um, what if they, it's likely they won't want to hear, right? They probably don't want to hear. Like, like, they don't want, you know, and you get that perspective, but it's so interesting that the text says the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is, it's not a, we don't have a, a a famine of, or a drought when it comes to harvesting. The harvest is plentiful. Jesus is saying that the world in which we live, the, the context in which we live, people want to know Jesus. They want a relationship with him. They want to engage and enter into the kingdom of heaven and and experience the saving, the saving dynamics of that walk, of that life-changing encounter with Christ. It kind of it changes your perspective, or it changes my perspective on things. It it's maybe nudges it towards the positive, towards the idea that, wow, people really, really need and want Jesus. And the truth is, they don't always know it. I'm not trying to say like they're, they know, oh, I know about Christianity, I know about Jesus, I just need somebody to come and tell me about it. But in their heart of hearts, in, their, in the depths of who they are, they want somebody to tell them about the Lord.
Now, the reality is, is we do live in a culture where people don't want to hear that they're wrong, right? People generally don't want to hear, like, my faith is right and your faith is wrong, <laughs> or my perspective is right and yours is wrong. And people don't often like to be told, you know, the behavior you're doing is not biblical. That's not Christian. You need to, you know, so there's, there's ways we need to bring the, the gospel to people strategically to not completely turn them away and make them run for the, for the door. But the reality is, is that everybody wants to be loved. Everybody wants to be valued, to know that they are loved and valued. And aren't, to some degree, I, I don't want to take this too far, but to some degree, aren't we all like, aren't we all um, kids at heart to some degree? We want to feel nurtured. We want to feel loved. We want to feel accepted. We want to feel that our worth is high, that we, we have value. And who gives it to us? Above all other, our, our spouses, our friends, our families can say nice things to us, and it feels good. They can give us a hug. But what is the ultimate hug that gives us that, that value, that gives us that peace, that joy? As we abide in Christ, in our Father, that we find that peace, that we find our identity, our worth, that we find hope, that we find the fruits of the Spirit, joy, peace, love, patience. So whether people know it or not, they're longing for it. That's why people get into relationships before they should or in bad relationships. People want to feel loved. They are longing for that experience ultimately with their father, their good father but they just don't know it yet. The harvest is plentiful. People want a relationship with God. They just don't know it yet sometimes. The harvest is plentiful. And then the text says, as you, it's a very familiar verse, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few, right? The next step is the reality that the laborers are few. I think the, the reason for that is because we often think that the harvest is not plentiful. We often think that people generally don't want to hear about Jesus. We live in a culture that sometimes we, sometimes people don't. <laughs> That's true. Sometimes people don't. They get turned off by, by us talking about our Lord or, or by us even mentioning. But, but there, are, there are those and the harvest is plentiful. There are, more, there are many who need and want, whether they know it or not have a relationship with Jesus. So what are the reasons why we are held back? Why we don't often proclaim the good news? Or why we're hesitant? Maybe, maybe some of you do often, I'm not sure, but many of us are hesitant. What are the reasons? Perhaps it's fear. I mean, that's, that's there, but we are told that we are not given a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of self-discipline, or some... Translations say a uh, uh, strong power, love, and a sound mind. Maybe it's a lack of faith that the harvest is plentiful. Maybe it's discomfort, feeling uncomfortable, or um, maybe that we just aren't around 
non-believers enough? Or are we just turning a blind eye? There's, there's many reasons why it could be. But we need to give ourselves kind of self-examine why that's the case. And, I, and the next thing in this verse is it says, pray earnestly. Pray earnestly to send out laborers. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Jesus says, pray earnestly to send out the laborers. So one of the ways we need to do that is literally pray earnestly. And it doesn't say just pray, it says pray earnestly. We need to be entering into prayer to the Lord of the harvest that he would send laborers out among us. And then we need to pray among the whole world as well, but we also need to pray for us ourselves that we would get a heart for the lost, that we would get a burden for the lost, that we would truly build in the faith to believe that the harvest is plentiful. And we need to pray for ourselves that we will step forward to go. And we need to also be praying for those who Jesus is sending us before him too, whether that's family members that don't know him yet. We need to be praying for their, for their heart, praying for their salvation. Co-workers, relatives, friends, the person that we feel, feel um, motivated to talk to as we're walking down the street or at the beach, wherever it may be, we need to pray for those people that the Lord of the harvest would go even before us and prepare their hearts as we go before Jesus to proclaim the good news. So verse 3 then kind of throws a, a little bit of a curveball. It says, go your way, behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. So he's saying, go. And then he says, but wait, just a heads up, it's not going to be necessarily easy. It's not going to be necessarily safe all the time. This is going to be a difficult situation occasionally, maybe often, and, and it could even be dangerous. And this is true physically. I mean, we know we've heard of the martyrs from generation after generation. There's martyrs. Uh, we, we heard uh, when Rick was preaching, the, the martyrs that are being, that are, the, the martyrdom that is happening right now around the world. This is a reality, that it is dangerous. It is difficult. And we know why this happens. Ephesians 6.12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this, over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So if we step back to the to previous verse, it says to pray. This is another area we need to be praying about. We need to be praying about the fact that it's, that it's dangerous. Praying that, that God will, praying against the, 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 the enemy forces in the spiritual places. That they would have no influence on those family members that we, are, that we want to see come to know Jesus. That the enemy's influence would be would be pulled away and that their eyes would be open. We need to pray because there is a spiritual warfare that's happening. We need to seek, we need to pray, we need to abide in the Lord. Verse 4 says, Jesus tells them, carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. 
So he's saying, though it, may be, though it may be dangerous, though it will be difficult at times, don't bring anything extra, right? It says, don't bring sandals. I, I believe it's likely talking about an extra pair, so he didn't tell them just go out barefoot necessarily, but he said, don't even bring an extra pair with you. Don't bring a money bag, but go and depend on me. Go and depend on me. It may be dangerous. But I want you in that danger to go without any provision and trust in me. Reminded of, of the manna as the Israel was going through the uh, desert, right? We're reminded as, Jesus, as uh, God gave them manna for each day and told them not to take extra amount except uh, on, on the, the day before the Sabbath so that they would have the extra amount for that day. But God provided for them as they went along day by day. And we too, as we step out believing that the harvest is plentiful, we too need to trust God. They trust God for everything. Trust Him that He, he will give us the word. Sometimes we, we hesitate to step forward because we think, oh, I'm not, as Moses did, oh, I'm not articulate. I'm not articulate enough. What if I, what if I stumble over my words? What if I make this really awkward? What if it's totally uncomfortable and awkward? I can't do it. And Jesus is telling them, just trust. I, God has got you covered. God has got all of the things you're going to need covered. And then, in fact, regarding this, regarding this um, dependency on God, um, and verse, I'm sorry, First, first Peter 3.15 says, Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. So, it's not that we shouldn't be prepared at all. We should be prepared. The text says <clears throat> in First Peter 3, Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason of the hope that is in you. Be prepared to let them know about what Jesus has done in your life and who he is. Who he is, what he's done for us. Know the gospel. Know the good news. Know what God's done for you in your life. Be prepared in that way. But don't worry about being 100% prepared. And this is the thing. We, we talked about the need to be a church that equips, right? Equips the saints. That equips one another. But we cannot... Wait until we feel 100% equipped to step out in faith to be used by God. And if the reason is, is I, I'm a bit of a perfectionist, and if you know that, if you experience that all in your lives, you know if you waited for, I mean, if you waited for 100%, you would never step out in faith. You would never step out. So we need to be prepared for the, to, to share the hope that is, that is within us we need to know the gospel well enough to share it. But then we step out trusting God in faith that he will provide everything else we need. And then it says, greet no one on the road. Uh, I don't think the interpretation of that is to say, be rude to everybody as you walk past them. Don't say hi and, and just, you know, be uh, completely rude. I think all that, all that Jesus is trying to imply here is, this task that I'm putting before you, 
the harvest that is plentiful out there, I'm telling you, go. This is important. This is of utmost importance. And don't get sidetracked. Don't get distracted. And I would say to us, I'm going to elaborate on this concept later, but as we do life in our communities, as we do ministry in our communities, we need to remember that all of our life is ministry. So one example of maybe, of maybe an application of not being distracted is if we're part of a, a small group that, lead, that, that connects to whether it be service or prayer or engage in the Word, that we don't forget that's part of our mission, that that's our mission, and end up just making it a social time. And don't get me wrong, I love socializing, and I think that's part of us getting to know one another. But if that becomes our distraction every week, it's just socializing every week, week after week after week, that might be an application here where we need to not get distracted to the ministry, to the calling, the mission that Jesus has for us in our lives. So verses 5 and 6 say, Whatever house you enter in, first say, Peace be to this house, and if a son of peace is there, and, your pe- and if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. I think a general a generalization of, of this, uh, this text would be we need to not, we need to offer people the peace of God, the, the, the good news, but not do it in a way that's, that's overbearing and forceful because if somebody doesn't receive that peace, then you, then you accept that that's their choice. We don't got to force it down somebody's throat, as they say. 1 Peter 3, 4, 1 Peter 3, uh, 14 and 15 says, Have no fear of them, nor, nor, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ as Lord as holy. And you'll, you'll remember I just said this. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. And then listen to this. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. So as we are, are giving testimony to the hope that is in us, of Christ who lives in us and who has brought us to the place we are, redeemed us, has saved us, and is continuing to save us and sanctify us. We can tell them of this God that we serve, of the good news, gently and respectfully. If they, if they do not receive the peace that we give them, that we offer them, then that's their choice. In fact, Matthew 7, 6 says, do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them under, underfoot and turn and attack you. In other words, if people don't want to hear the good news that we have to offer, then don't force it. Allow them to make that choice. But the text does have something to say about that as well. You offer the good news, but if they refuse it and they push it away, The text is clear about that as well. It says, And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. And then verse 10 through 11 says, But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, 
Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. So in other words, if, if they reject the gospel, allow them to reject it, but let them know that there are consequences. So this gesture that, 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 that Jesus tells them to do, to, to wipe off their sandals as they walk away and tell them that even the dust from your town, I'm wiping off my sandals, this it would have been understood to the first century Jew as, as a, the idea of if as I step away from you, as I step away from your town or your, your property, as I wipe the dust from off my feet, that is representing that you are, no, you are not a part of the kingdom of God. And the reason I say that is in the first century, very devout Jews, as they left Gentile nations or Gentile spaces, they would often wipe the sand from their shoes because it was a space of uncleanness, a space that was not, that was not sanctified, that was unclean, that they considered unclean. So for, for, for a Jew to do that to another Jew was to say, you are not part of the kingdom of God. You have decided not to be part of the kingdom of God. So, they were, so Jesus clarified to them, you, symbolically by you doing this, you are letting them know the choice they've made and the consequences that come with that choice. Verse 9, jumping back a couple of verses, um, says, Heal the sick and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near. So, obviously, we've talked about pre- presenting the, the, the uh, gospel, but also Jesus says here, As you're with them, pray for them. Meet their needs. If, they have, if they're sick, pray for their healing. If they have other needs, that's what we do. We meet their needs. We, we meet them where they are at. And we, in meeting them where they are at, we present the good news to them. And then going back to the consequences, Jesus goes on after saying, wipe away the sand from your sandals. He says to them, I tell you it will be more tolerable on that day for Sodom than for that town. In other words, the wrath of God falls on those who reject Jesus and the good news, who reject God, who turn their face away from him, there are consequences, eternal consequences. And we need, to, we need to be willing, as Jesus says here, we need to be willing to express that truth. There is a, 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 a large, well, there are many Christians who reject the idea that there is an eternal punishment. The idea that there is a hell. Um, they'll, they'll make lots of arguments. They'll use certain Greek words and say, well, this Greek word that might have meant this. But if you look at the totality of Scripture, if you look at the totality of Scripture, there is clarity that there is a place where those who, do, who reject God, reject Christ, end up for eternity that is not pleasant. And we call that place hell. It's not a place I want people to go to, but Jesus here tells us to to make sure to let people know that this is a consequence. And I would say 
that we need to do that strategically, but we need to be willing to do that. In a world, and even a Christian, some Christian cultures that are not willing to, to, to let people know that that's the consequence, we need to be willing strategically and with love, from a place of love, to let people know that there are consequences, ultimately, and eternal consequences. So, this section is a powerful, a powerful passage, right? It, it tells us that the, the harvest is plentiful. It, it lets us know that we need like the sev- to go like the 72. We need to go and proclaim the good news. Go before Jesus and let people know of the good news and even the consequences, the bad news, if, if they refuse and reject that. But as we have been talking for the last month about the trajectory of Joy Christian Center, the the vision, the plan for Joy Christian Center, we have to ask ourselves, what does that look like for us? Does that mean that we just try to be more evangelical once in a while? That we we push ourselves a little harder to tell our our cousin or our, our family member or our friend? That's part of it. You know, yes, if, if God's calling you and you believe he's calling you to tell somebody about his love for them, by all means, tell them. But it's much more than that as well for us as joy. I want to say, first of all, this means for us as, as we're called to be a missional church, <clears throat> it means that we need to heed the call. First and foremost, to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel, to go and make disciples. We need to heed that call. We need to listen and answer that call with a, yes, Lord, send me. I want to be part of your kingdom purposes and your plan. Next, I want to say that this means for us to be a missional church, we need to change our perspective of church. In certain ways, we need to change our perspective of church. One of the ways is we need to stop, to change our perspective from the idea that church, the church building is the focus of our worship, like this is where Jesus resides, as if he doesn't, isn't at our house or isn't in the community. We need to get away from the idea that that church, the church building is the focus and the place where we always need to go to worship to a mindset of a community focus, of going out into the world that we are called to do ministry in. We need to get away from a mindset where we need to, um, we need to always come to the church and get to a mindset we need to go into our community. And we need to get rid of the mindset where we, we need to, be, to bring people to church, which is good if you do, don't get me wrong, away from that mindset solely that we need to bring people here to be ministered to, rather than the idea that we need to go and bring Jesus to them as Jesus wants to send us before him to minister as he did with the 72. And there's more than that. There's more than that. We need to be willing. The word that kept coming in my mind this week was hospitality hospitality, a missional hospitality. As we're in our communities inviting 
neighbors into our homes, inviting neighbors to dinner, inviting neighbors, spending time with the people around us, the co-workers, inviting co-workers to spend time with us. To go in their homes, if they invite us to, to go into their homes. And also, as a community, this means intentionally spending more time together. And I'm, I'm going to be talking more about this as the, the weeks and months go. But we have so much going for us as a small community, as a small family. We are, we are a family, right? We, our strengths are, we are a family. We are a family that many people are, are, have natural giftings of hospitality. I've noticed there's, there's a, a, a level of transparency here, of people being honest with who they are and where they're at. We, we are um, a place, a, a family that loves one another. And we have... Also in the, in, the, in the community here, in the family, there's a, a sense of joy. There's a, you know, when people come together, there's, there's a, a, a joy that people have. There's, people have fun, people laugh, people, people um, enjoy one another's company. So we have a lot of strengths here. And we need, as a body, to, to foster those, to foster those relationships, to grow together. And then, here's the key, the second step there, to foster those relationships, but then invite others to enjoy those relationships with us. That, can, that means that ministry doesn't have to happen here. It can happen at a barbecue at my house. It can happen at the pool that I've only been in one time and that's in my apartment complex. We could, it could happen there. Ministry can happen there. Ministry can happen at, in front of Lucas's house in a worship jam on the street. Now, that's maybe too big, but, but it can happen anywhere. It can happen at our houses, in, in, in the parks where we have barbecues, and we invite people. And like I said, people are longing to know Jesus, to feel his love. They're waiting. They don't know it, but they're waiting for someone to introduce them to their loving Father. They're suffering, and they hide it. They're suffering, and they try to make it look like everything's okay. But they do not have a relationship with the Father, and they're longing for that embrace, to abide in Him, to know what we know. Now, I'm not saying we're, we're perfect, we're happy all the time or anything, but there is a level of joy that's in a, in a community like ours that people don't have that people don't have outside of the faith. And we need to invite people into that. We need to, pr to provide environments where that joy flourishes, barbecues, parties, um, whatever it may be, worship nights, movie nights, um, progressive dinner nights, whatever it may be, and then invite friends, invite, invite family to come and enjoy the joy that is part of joy. <laughs> Again, our strengths, we are family, we have transparency, we have joy, a level of joy that people want. We are hospitable and we have love 
in our community that people want to be a part of. To give, to give an example, a very tangible, easy example of what I'm talking about. I was part, I was uh, in the military, as most of you know, in the Air Force in the beginning uh, 2000s, in the early 2000s. And I had already accepted the Lord as a child, but I was not walking with him. I was, um, at this point in the military, I, I was pretty much, I, I still knew God wanted a relationship with me. I still knew I needed to be connected to the source to some degree, but my life consisted of partying from Thursday or Friday all through the weekend and then going to church Sunday morning and then maybe doing whatever the rest of the night and then, I mean, partying through the week if I had to, whatever. I was not walking with God. And as I was going to church, because God was prompting me to go, even though I was doing all my own thing, there was these group of people, and they didn't come at me as a group, but individually they kept asking, hey, Johnny, why don't you come to this Bible study with us? I'm like, no. No, 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 that's not me. I'm not going to go to a Bible study. And then another person, hey, you should come to a Bible study. And then this, this individual eventually became my mentor. He would say, hey, why don't you come to this other Bible study? I'm like, man, these people just lay off. I do not want to go to a Bible study. And then one day, I was like, all right. I, they, they convinced me. So at this one specific Bible study, there was uh, the person who led it was a former gourmet chef. So in his Bible studies, he would make chicken cordon bleu and these, these fine dining meals and invite us young military folk over to the house and have a Bible study. I was like, okay, I'll go, I'll go for that. So I went. The food was amazing. But where God got me was I sat down and I looked around me and everybody had their Bible open. Everybody had their, their, their highlighters out. Everybody was laughing during dinner. Everybody was having fun. Everybody was filled with joy. They were a family like we are here at Joy. They had joy in their hearts and in their interactions like we, we have here at Joy. There was a hospitality there that we have here at Joy. There was a love that we, there that we have here at Joy. And as I sat there, I thought to myself, I don't, I don't have this. I don't have this, what they have. Yeah, I might have accepted the Lord at eight, but they're in, engaging in their faith in a way that, that I never have, and I want this. So that Bible study initi initiated something to shift in my heart. And then during that weekend, they brought me to a, a Christian... Um, concert, which was very fun, Jars of Clay, some old, some old school bands nowadays, but Jars of Clay, Jennifer Knapp, and another one. Um, then, then they brought me to a, a, uh, a Bible college where they were doing some kind of event there. Everybody, each of these things that they brought me to, everybody was full of joy, peaceful, loving, excited about their faith. And it did something to me. It transformed my life. It shifted me. Even though I was walking with, or I was uh, uh, 
I accepted the Lord at eight, I was not walking. I was walking away from him. And it shifted me a full 180 to start walking with him and seeking him. And my life never has been the same since. And I want to say that is one glimpse of the impact we can have as a community, as a family, as we get outside of these walls and we invite people to our homes, we invite ourselves to their, no, not really. We hope they invite us to their homes. Um, and we do life outside of these walls. What is that going to look like exactly? All these ideas that I gave are options. They, there's more than that. There's more options than that. But God can use us beyond what we could ever imagine. We just have to be willing to be used, to get out of our comfort zone, to get out of these four walls, to get out of our bubble, to pop the Christian bubble, where, and what I mean by that is where we always are with only just one another or always only just with Christians. What would it look like for us to be around non-believers? Maybe some of you are already, but what would it look like to invite that person who you never thought would want to go to church to church, or better, to your house, to have dinner, or to a, to a um, movie night or a barbecue that we have as a church, as a community. You never know how God is going to use us. We just need to heed the call and change our perspective. Allow our perspective to start changing when it comes to church and, and what ministry looks like. I've said this a few times lately. We need to Erase, allow God to erase the line that's in our minds that divides us, the sacred, the things that we think are holy and religious and godly. We need to erase the line that divides those things and the normal life, everyday life activities, work, school, having fun, whatever that may be. And I want to, um, finish with this specific um, kind of a quote. I'll explain what I mean by that. I want to offer you this um, thing that I wrote out. It's, it's inspired from a quote from the movie Harriet. Who has watched Harriet or heard of Harriet, the movie? There's some um, debate on I don't know if I should say controversy, I don't know if maybe it is, on some of the details of it, historical inaccuracies, I believe. But it's very beautiful movie, inspiring movie. And there was a scene where, I won't give away too much, in fact, I changed the quote so much that you, it, you won't even realize it's from the movie, because I wanted to make it for us. But, but Harriet Tubman, just to give some context for those who don't know her, she was born in the, I think, 1820, and she was an abolitionist. She was actually born into slavery herself, an African-American slave, and then um, escaped slavery, and then devoted the rest of her life. And when I say devoted, on a whole nother level devoted her life. Put herself in danger multiple, multiple, multiple times in order to set the captives free. 
those who were enslaved to set them free. And as I watched it and I heard this, this speech that she gave or that the, the character gave in the movie, it just touched me in light of the message that we too are called to go before Jesus to help those who are enslaved to be set free. So again, I, I shifted this, this quote from the movie quite a bit, but I want to finish by, by offering it to us as an encouragement, as a reminder to our call. We can't neglect spreading the good news. We can't pretend like there isn't a very real devil tricking and enslaving the world around us. Stealing, killing, and destroying the lives of our neighbors and even our friends and loved ones. People we cherish. We need to, 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 we need to get to work bringing slaves, those enslaved by the enemy, to freedom. We can't give up rescuing those enslaved because it's uncomfortable, because it's scary, because it's messy, or because it's inconvenient and forces us to step out and to sacrifice a little of the comforts we've grown to love. We can no longer live lives trying to forget or simply choosing not to think about what people around us have went through, what those enslaved are going through right now, and ultimately what they will experience as they walk through eternity, punished beyond our understanding, separated from the God we love. If we take a second just to listen, we can hear their groans, and their sighs. We, we can see their tears. And it is only as we align, as we abide in God, and as we align our hearts with the heart of the Father, that we too can live as our Lord did, willing to give every last drop of the blood in our veins to free them. So I I believe this is the time we have to make a choice today in our lives personally and as a family here at Joy Christian Center. May we choose to live to help people find their way to freedom. May we open our doors to our neighbors, invite our friends and family to do life with us, show them the joy that we have in our hearts and what a life set free looks like and ultimately introduce them to the one who set us free, the one who continues to set us free, and the one who longs to set them free from the depths of slavery to Satan, sin, and death. May we go and do what we have been called to do and go where we have been called to go in order to free as many slaves as possible until this beast, this monster called slavery to sin and death is itself slain and dead by the one who sits on the throne. He who will come and make all things new. Lord God, 
Your word is in and of itself inspiring. Your word convicts. Your word calls us to be a missional church, to, to, to seek you first, to equip ourselves, but then to go and make disciples, to, to send one another and to go with one another into our community. Lord, I pray that your word will continue to convict us, that you will continue to draw us into that, that desire, that, that you would give us your heart, Lord, for those who are lost, that you would give us your heart that breaks, that, we would, that, that would thrust us into a desire as it did with Harriet Tubman to set the captives free, God. Give us your heart, Lord. May we love as you love. And may we do ministry in our normal, everyday life experiences, at our home, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, and with our church family in our community. Inspire us, Jesus. I, you know, I listen to this, this quote from the movie Harriet, and I'm inspired, and I bring it to to the church, but ultimately, Lord God, there is nothing that can inspire us as much as you can. Touch our hearts, fill our lives, and inspire us as a community to do the work you've called us to do, to go where you've called us to go, to make, to prepare the way before you as you long to touch the lives in this harvest that is way more plentiful than we can even imagine. May your glory come and may you set your captives free. Use us in Jesus' name. Amen.